Welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Elite Podcast. Ben Standing here. Yes, I cover the Washington football team for the Athletic. I also dabble in the Washington Wizards, and that's going to be the primary uh, thrust of this episode. I spoke with none other than Joe House of The Ringer at length about the Washington Wizards, but we also had a, a good chat about the Washington football team. It's more of a I guess, to be honest, sort of like what's wrong with the Wizards and what's kind of going right with the football team. So there's a little mixed bag for everybody, but I would admit uh, it's a lot of Wizards talk. Hopefully you guys like that. Joe's obviously an entertaining guy, a DC, a DMVer himself. So a fun chat there. Uh, well, I'll get to more of that in a second, but I'm going to also talk here about some other Washington football team things at the top, including Marcus Mariota, Sadiq Charles, and a little bit more on the Standard Room Only podcast. Of course, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, all those places. If you're an iTunes person, uh, you know, I always kind of hate to, to, to bring it up, but if, you, if you've got a minute to drop a rating, if you have a second to write a quick review, these things definitely help the cause of people finding out the podcast. More people have definitely been finding it out lately, for sure, uh, from what I can see, but the more, the merrier. Uh, of course, you can uh, subscribe, read my things on the Athletic. I'll get to my latest story in a second. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. Um, I, I guess so. Let me just sort of open with, man, I really hope everybody's kind of doing okay out there. It is, I, I, I'm kind of finding in this post-election war, uh, cycle that we're in right now, I know a lot more of my friends or people that I talk to feel like they are really kind of grinding through right now as best they can uh, this time. It feels like, you know, we had this, I think, this natural distraction with the election um, for some time. And from that, uh, not to say that we weren't concerned about the pandemic. Obviously, I mean, we think we hopefully most of us have been that way from a safety standpoint. But I think we had something kind of occupying part of our brain. I know for me, I was watching a ton of news and thinking about the election a lot. And now that's over with. And, you know, there's still things in the world to discuss. But uh, that big part of the of everything is sort of wiped away. And now we're kind of, at least I think for me, but in talking to people, it's like, oh, uh, what? Wait, the pandemic is still going on. I'm stuck in my house. I'm around the same people, or in my case, kind of around like nobody. Um, it's 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 weird, and I, and I know that I'm in talking to people. It feels like it's become all of a sudden a lot harder to deal with kind of everything that's going on. So uh, I hope everybody's doing okay. Obviously, stay safe. Uh, you know, follow the guidelines. Uh, hopefully, we can get out of this soon. I will say that in the DC area, it would be fantastic if the weather would would start changing here. It's been pretty you know pretty cold for a while we're getting apparently another uh, uh snow uh system coming through here we haven't had like massive snow knock on wood i'm good with that but we're getting another system here in one way or the other so be more i say fun but i don't really mean that um <laughs> but some more some more things happen here in the dmv uh and i'm sure wherever you are odds are uh you're probably dealing with some cold as well so hope you can hang in there i know for me like, i need to get out of the house go take walk whatever it may be and it's hard to do when it is freaking cold um you know so hopefully you guys can can go can go do that um i guess one thing that's able to distract everybody a little bit is all this quarterback talk with the washington football team and i'll get into a little bit more here i did talk about it with joe in our interview but just to sort of drop it here at the top 
Um, I have a new article up on The Athletic uh, about, essentially, I went into it kind of looking at, like, wide receivers, do they, we all know kind of the Washington, you know, could use an upgraded receiver, and there's definitely some big-name free agent receivers out there this year. You're Allen Robinson's, Chris Godwin's, uh, Kenny Galladay, T.Y. Hilton, depending where you want to, you know, put him. Curtis Samuel with the Panthers is an obvious name to consider here. And that, what are the factors that go into those decisions? Obviously, money is one, right? And that, and and I talked to some some uh, some agents and some others about that. And 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 money is is uh, top of the list. But at the same time, what if you're dealing with equal offers? How much does a quarterback come into play? Uh, obviously, if you're a receiver, in order to make the plays. You know, you're such a dependent position. You need somebody getting you the ball. And if you're dealing with, you know, Green Bay and Washington are both looking at the same receiver and the money is comparable, one team has Aaron Rodgers and the other team doesn't have anybody close to that. And even if Washington gets a quarterback, uh, you know, a, a, a considered upgrade over Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke and maybe Alex Smith, what does that what does that mean relative over talking about receiver? You know, somebody if if, if the Packers want. Uh, a receiver like you know Chris Godwin may get the franchise tag but if he hits the free agent market you know Tom Brady versus you know Tom Brady in Tampa versus whatever Washington it has in in this uh climate uh so what are the factors and I think I, th- I thought it was kind of an interesting story I hope you guys will check that out but part of that story involved well, what are the you know what can Washington do at quarterback obviously the you know we, we all kind of know the gist right now they resigned Taylor Heineke we all uh, believe that they'll they'll uh, retain Kyle Allen. Alex Smith is the wild card. I'm under the going to go with the with the premise that he won't return uh, because you know, how do you bring uh, I don't think they're going to not bring back Kyle Allen, so then kind of what do you do as a third guy with with Alex and then, you know, for all the other reasons, can you trust can you count on him for 16 games? Um the money, you know, even if he's willing to take a to take a cut to what end and and all that. So, uh you know, kind of went through some of the options and um, there'll probably be a third podcast this week, I should say, and we'll get we'll get more into the Mariota or some Marcus Mariota and some of the other quarterbacks. But just to sort of lay out what's on the set, what's on the website today, obviously there's been a lot of talk about Marcus Mariota, uh, Michael Lombardi, you know, former NFL GM, who's a who, who does some work for the Athletic. He was doing an interview recently in which he said Washington. I don't have the exact quote, but basically he said that Washington was showing some real interest. In Mariota, and that has led to a lot of questions in town about you know what's the what's the deal? Could could Washington get him? Uh, Mariota has one year left on a deal with the Raiders. Um, he's paying it's paying him just shy of ten uh, eleven million dollars, and the Raiders probably have to make a decision here. They either probably have to cut him before the money before the new year or trade him. They already obviously have Derek Carr. He makes a lot of money. Tacking on Mariota is an expense they probably are not looking to keep so the question is you know what happens there and if there's a trade you know what does that mean again he has currently one year left you could always i guess negotiate more um the one year i said is for around for just under 11 million dollars but there's escalator clauses and some other incentives in the deal that if he were to be the starter essentially it would go up uh several million dollars uh Possibly, I think somewhere around like seventeen million. I think I, I think I saw, uh, I've seen some mention of that. 
I think John Kime had something about that, but I think I, I've heard that from others as well. And, you know, that all of a sudden, it's not horrendous money for a starter, but now all of a sudden that's not such some, some cheapy deal. So if you're kind of picking Mariota to be your guy, you know, it's going to cost you that, uh, that, that that money. So the question, though, is, okay, you you like Mariota. You want to get Mariota. Does, you know what? What's that cost? And by the way, I've said before to me at this point, if I'm Washington, I'm going for the upside play at at quarterback. If, if there's no Matthew Stafford, we're not talking about the Deshaun Watsons of the world because those guys are not available. I'm going for somebody who gives me more upside at that position than than others, and that that means uh, for me. Jameis Winston talked about before. I don't think he's leaving the Saints, but. He would be somebody, Mitch Trubisky with the Bears, talked about him on the last episode with our Bears insider Kevin Fishbane, and Marcus Mariota. I think those are the guys that stand out to me as the, I think if I'm a team and, you know, I could maybe get more out of these guys and give me, um, and give me some hope, give me some belief that I could, um, get you know turn this into the you know we have to come up with a better example than ryan Tannehill because i keep using that one but you know that that type of that type of situation um trubisky and and winston will in theory be free agents Mariota, you could go get him right now what's the cost though and i've heard sort of kind of all over the place on this in, in terms of public speculation i was on uh, kevin sheehan's uh, radio show on Tuesday. I typically go on most Mondays at eight o'clock, but he's had me on Tuesday the last couple of weeks for whatever the reasons. And he asked me that question sort of just out of the blue. And I said, I think, I think I said like a fifth or a sixth somewhere late day three. And he was surprised. He, he said that he had a third and Chris Cooley had a second. I've heard others sort of guess that range. And it feels like to me, like people have just sort of like overcooked what Mariota is, is really here. He was available last year to everybody, and, and nobody signed him to a starter deal. Now, the, the deal that the Raiders gave him is beyond just, you know, it's not nothing, right? I mean, Taylor Heineke, as the backup, got two years, $8.5 million if he gets every single incentive, which, you know, whatever. And Mariota, this contract, um, it's starting at just under eleven, that, And that's off, off of what he had this previous year. Um, so... I think Mariota is an interesting quarterback. He's exactly the type of player we're talking about. Go for the upside and so on. Um, I had I had one source tell me that they were skeptical because of the injuries. Like that wouldn't work for them. And obviously you want durability at the position. That would be sort of the knock against Alex Smith. But that said, what what's the cost of, of Smith? I, 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 you know, am I sort of right in thinking the late later day three or others thinking that day two pick? So I, I guess I wouldn't say that this is right or you know, proving my point, but it does, I guess, ultimately. So I did check around with some league sources, including uh, executives, uh, personnel executives around the league, uh, some 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 uh, some notable ones, and three people got back to me on this topic. And again, these were more or less educated guesses as opposed to, um, you know, definitive, this is what the, the Raiders are wanting or things like that. But they all kind of said a fifth-round pick would seem to be in line when you factor in the one year left on the deal. But the Raiders kind of have to move on Mariota. That there's debate over how good Mariota actually is. He's interesting. 
He may be more interesting than what Washington currently has. He probably is more interesting than what Washington has, but not necessarily um, some game changer. So in any event, a fifth round pick is what I came up with. These executives agreed and, uh, you know, keep that, take, take that for what it's worth. Anyway, there's more on this topic, both from the quarterback perspective and the receivers over on the athletic. Um, I'm going to have another story later in this week, sort of catching up on a few things with this team. And one is about Sadiq Charles. I'll, I'll just sort of put a little bit out here right now. You know, obviously he's one of those players that is interesting going into next season, effectively a complete red shirt year, only played two snaps. They were at left guard in the week six game against the giants. And then he suffered a dislocated kneecap out for the year. Um, and he's got to be factored into the plans for this team going forward. I know that Ron Rivera is a fan, others in the building as well, but we just didn't get to see enough, and they have to make some determinations about what they think he can do for them and how does that factor into plans they have for the offensive line. Charles, from what I've been told, he's, his rehab is coming along fine. He's about a month out from starting to run. Uh, you know, we're, we're only mid-February. So plenty of time for him to be ready for a training camp. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Does Washington view him in the mix, either at left guard, at left tackle? If if it's the case, especially at tackle, does that change any plans? Or, or what does that do for them when it comes to the draft or free agency? Do they think they're good? I think Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew, you know, along with Rivera, have talked about the need for, for sort of building up the line. But to what end, right? I mean, uh you know what to what end are they um going to do that again i guess in other words do they think that with charles plus if you bring everybody back including brandon sheriff that that's enough and there's reason to be optimistic or even if charles is you know good to go and they're factoring him in that they still think they need more particularly at tackle i think you could make the case they do think they need more tackle but again if charles is somebody that they believe in maybe he's the starter and, uh, you know, or obviously you could always move him to guard and knock out Wes Schweitzer, but I think Wes Schweitzer, you know, acquitted himself nicely for the most part last season. So um, something to keep an eye on, to keep, something to keep an eye on there for sure. Um, all right. So just wanted to get some of those little things out of the way. You can, again, you can check it out on The Athletic. More coming up this week there for sure. But for now... Let's get into it. A fun conversation. I've been trying to get Joe House on this podcast for a while. The issue has been my end, not his end. Multiple times we were set to go, and then things happened. Uh, I can't remember what, but a couple times, like literally like two times, we were about to go, and some sort of you know news broke. I want to say it was maybe during the GM search uh, situation. So kind of waited for a quiet time, got him back on, good to go, had a fun chat. Joe's a, Joe's a fun guy. Obviously, you can listen to him on, over on with Bill Simmons a lot on, on the various podcasts over on the Ringer. But for this, for now, he's on this podcast. So let's get to it. My conversation with Joe House here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, uh, I, I don't know if I'm caffeinated enough, but I've, I I did everything I could because I know my my, my guest here is going to bring you the energy. He's got a, a he's got a Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup drink that's like the size giant. It's like the size of George Mirasan. It's the George Mirasan of, of coffee cups. He is, of course, Joe House from The Ringer at House from DC uh, on Twitter. And I was thinking about this house. Like, are you, I'm, I'm not kidding. Are you the most known Wizards fan at this point? Because obviously you and you go on with Bill Simmons all the time on his podcast. I, I hear you all there all the time. You talk about the Wizards more than the team probably deserves to because of you. 
And yeah, I know there are like John King is, has tickets, but like, you know, who, who nobody knows that. I, 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 yeah, I, but I, I, it's Wolf. Wolf's number one, right? Because everybody knows Wolf. Uh, and he's still, if you come to Washington, at least when they were doing games where there were fans, he would be doing, he was the introduction on the, on the, the yes. circular screen in front. So it's, it's Wolf Blitzer, number one, uh, maybe house number two. I'm fine with that. Oh no, that would be really good if that's the case. But like, even like nationally, I don't know. Do people know, does, does Wolf, I don't know. Does Wolf Blitzer go on CNN? And and right before he talks about impeachment hearing, says, "By the way, how about that Bradley Beal last night? Uh, is he doing it? I don't. Do people know? I don't know." Well, he hasn't had much occasion other than talking about Bradley Beal. There hasn't been much reason to talk about the any of the Washington professional teams, except for the football team, which is something that I really hope I get to interview you about today. Yeah, I didn't even say this to you in advance. I pull like so normally when I. Uh, have somebody coming on i i sort of like okay well what what topics do i want to get into here I, honestly this one i was like I, i'm not worrying about this one i i know we're going to get into wizards <laughs> minutia uh based on based on some chats we've had offline and yeah absolutely talk about the football team and consider this an open forum you can fire away and ask uh, whatever you want uh because like i said i know you do talk about the wizards a decent amount with bill but yes this is an opportunity to talk about uh whatever it's going whatever it's going on uh before we get into any of that officially i guess ha- how's it going i mean life is remains weird uh you're doing this from your an actual office space which i was saying to you like i don't even know people leave their house so how's this like the world going for you at this point yeah i've been lucky in terms of you know i'm kind of self-employed so um i've managed to you know, navigate a, uh, an occasional downtown office kind of situation that's safe and properly distanced and not really coming into contact with other humans. And then my home situation, I'm also lucky. Uh, my wife is able to do her job even before all this, she's been able to do the vast majority of her job from home. So it hasn't been that dramatic a departure and our little guy, um, is into virtual school. It just hits him the right way for whatever reason. I think a big part of it is because he's on for like an hour and a half. And then when they have their downtime, he's like, oh, uh, I can go play Roblox on my computer now. I don't have to like, you know, go out on the playground and freeze. Yeah, okay, that's that's works. So he's in a routine that works for him, but we've been lucky, fortunate. My family, I'm knocking on all the wood. Everybody's healthy. We've, We've all been safe so you know all things considered absolutely nothing to complain about all right well that's good i mean uh you got to save your complaints for the for the basketball team you you, you're interested in so that so that's good that's good to hear on on the real life front and obviously as you're you know for those who are unaware uh you know your your twitter handle says it all house from dc you you are not just somebody who who is a transplant as people think people think nobody's actually from here so uh, you know people just moved here yeah both of us are are from here both of us grew up uh rooting for these teams i at some point transitions into the media and combined with just other things you know basically dead inside emotionally for the most part with these things but i do get annoyed by these various teams and the wizards give me a lot to be annoyed about constantly it's super frustrating to 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 pay attention to them and and, and i guess we'll get to the we'll get to some football team stuff for sure but you know i guess let's just start there but we're, we're talking on Wednesday, so the Wizards are playing the Nuggets tonight. So if they were to win, it would be actually their third win in a row, which I think is the first time they would have had a three-game winning streak since 2018. So 
some level of optimism would be coming from that. So let me not just completely crap on all things if that's true. That said, it's not even a matter of what they're sort of doing right now. It's just sort of the state of the franchise as a whole. What, what's to you, I'll just open the floor. What's your sort of peak number one right now? Whatever, you, ownership all the way down to whatever. What's the thing that drive, that's, that, that's killing you right now? Um, it is, mind, sure, it's, it's the lack of identity it, to me is, is the most sort of concerning and upsetting thing. And there are 5 million legitimate reasons why this current iteration of the almost bullets lack a cohesive, coherent, sensible identity. The pandemic is one aspect of it. Nobody's missed more games than Washington, although some other franchises are starting to catch up, it seems. Um, they, the, the health of their most important players, they signed Davis Bertans to a, a five-year, $90 million deal, and the homie showed up in December after you know having all that time off he didn't go to the bubble he had nothing but time to get himself in the right shape the right frame of mind whatever leg treatment that he needed to arrive in December raring to go and I don't know why he he hasn't been able to perform until like the last six or eight games I don't know what's going on with his health but he has been uh you know uh, a a not 100% version of himself. And the same is true of the most important off-season acquisition, which was Russell Westbrook. There was nothing but unbridled enthusiasm and uh, the highest of modest expectations, <laughs> which is to say, like, why not a six seed in the East? Those were, that was a reasonable expectation entering this season. But he's hurt. And... There have been, you know, some uh, uh, different kinds of, of stories out there about how hurt he is and whether it's a, this nagging quad thing and he can't play back-to-back -back games, although he did just play back-to-back -back games and he played in both the victory over the Celtics and the victory over the Rockets. Um, but any kind of lingering, nagging injury that was going to be part of the Russell Westbrook footprint, it would have been good to know that in December. That's, that's my biggest complaint because the expectations were high. I mean, I went on with Simmons and, and Ryan Rosillo and the three of us, as we do each year, go through the entire league and try and forecast how many wins teams are going to have. And we were all bullish on the Wizards. Now, Simmons was especially bullish. And, and, it, and it was mainly because I think he was, he was trying to be a good friend. I mean, it was really like, you know, it was right around holiday time. We were approaching Christmas. And he tried to give me a Christmas present with some enthusiasm for, for the Wizards. But they suck. And they suck because they're hurt. I heard you tell him on a subsequent podcast, like basically the next time we do something like this, please let's just not discuss either of our teams because we both want to be nice to the other one. And I think that got me, meaning you, into trouble this time because uh, <laughs> somebody else saying, oh, let's go with the Wizards. Look, I, I mean, I'm with you like generally. Like, I mean, I thought, look, I am not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan broadly. If I'm building a team, that's not the guy. 
that I want, but he brings the energy. He plays hard. He's obviously a, a dynamic player, all NBA even last year. And yeah, there is that concern with the way he plays. Like there, the, the cliff could be pretty dramatic, but there was no indication that it was going to happen. And beyond whatever, forget gang signs, forget relationship with Beal, forget any of that stuff. It seemed like if you're a team like the Wizards, he's trying to compete. And Ted Leontes, I say this all the time, his goal, in my opinion, is to make the playoffs, not to win the title. The goal, everything is built towards that. And, and having a guy like Westbrook there would do that because he's going to play every game. And with John Wall, who knows? And then like Westbrook shows up and immediately they're like, oh yeah, yeah, he's probably not going to play in back-to-backs. Like, wait, what? Wait, right? what, what? What happened? I don't understand. You, that was the whole, I, I thought that was like the whole point of trading John Wall was he, we don't know what he's at physically, and now you got a guy who's not playing every other. He can't play every 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 back to back. That's crazy. Yeah, that's it. I mean, this is the thing. If if and I'm with you. I, I have not been an enormous Russell Westbrook fan over the course of my uh, NBA fandom. Uh, in fact, I thought it was an outrage that he won the MVP uh, three years ago over over uh, James Harden, um, and, and you know he took a team. Uh, to 46 wins and then they lost in the first round of the playoffs, which, you know, n- none of which speaks highly of of the NBA media's selection of uh, a guy who padded stats an entire season uh, by every indication. And it wasn't him. I mean, it was the franchise uh, was committed to it. And I actually don't think that was a bad idea for them to build something interesting in Oklahoma City the year after K- KD left. But, you know, I've always – Russell Westbrook has always struck me as a – in his best role as a second banana. And it was the thing that I think ultimately made it possible for Kevin Durant to leave Oklahoma City when they were playing together. At the ends of games, Russell Westbrook had no reservations about taking the most important shots and Russell Westbrook has a history of missing those most important shots at the end of games. That's true over the entirety of his career. And I, you know, defy anyone to come up with a metric uh, that 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 proves uh, the the opposite. But with all of that background, having said all of that, I was thrilled by the idea of Russell Westbrook coming here to Washington. Nobody questions his uh, commitment. Nobody questions his professionalism. Nobody questions his drive. And as is always the case in a honeymoon, in the honeymoon period, we got a lot of great stories. Look at what he's doing with the rookies. Nobody you know, was prepared for how hard he was going to go in practice or what his practice um, ethic was going to look like. And I was bought all the way in. I love those stories. Nothing made me happier than the idea of instilling some professionalism into uh, a team it's not like Washington uh, suffered from a lack of professionalism it's just a bunch of young guys and Brad Beal so uh, you know the, the it was a welcome veteran injection and I thought we might get you know I didn't expect the full-on near uh, all NBA level performance um, this year but I I thought all-star was reasonable I mean he was like he was a 27 nine eight guy last year over the 60 some games that he played. Uh, I mean, he was out for stretches, so maybe he only played in the fifties, but super uh, impactful for Houston and, you know, uh, an important part of, of their, their, um, 
system and I thought potentially a, a welcome addition. He needed the, the, the fresh air that this situation offered. And I had lots of, of high hopes. What we got was, you know, the, the, the trade at the time was we have an unknown quantity in wall in terms of what's the track record of a guy who hasn't played two and a half years of professional basketball coming off an Achilles injury. And a guy who's known for his speed and athleticism, what's going to, what's going to trade, what's that going to look like now? It's not like he was Durant coming back from an Achilles injury where he's shooting and all that. That's exactly right. Um, versus a guy who was all NBA the, the previous year. Okay, sure. Yeah, I can get behind that idea. But another guy, to your point, who who absolutely relies on his athleticism and the single biggest thing missing from that package this year is the athleticism, except when they play the Nets for some reason. I mean, for I whatever why. reason, <laughs> you wonder why, right? He, he gets up for it and, you know, his performance in the second game against the Nets that they, they, they won um, was a vintage Westbrook game. And a lot of people, it came right on the heels of, you know, kind of the high point this season of the conjecture around, is it time for Washington to move beyond Brad Beal? Um, because they had been mired in a, in a losing streak. And right after that conversation kind of, you know, was reaching fever pitch uh, across the, the NBA wires, um, Westbrook came out and had 41 points against the Nets, uh, and they beat the Nets. Uh, and there was a lot of like tis tisking from the the certain elements of the Washington sports media about you know the skepticism that folks um, were were heaping on the Washington situation by virtue of both Westbrook and you know what what's the the point of having Beal um, tend to a team that on a uh, eighty two game schedule is destined for about twenty six wins. Um, what's the point of Brad Beal in that kind of situation. But since then, you know, it's, it's been start and stop again with, with Westbrook. So this is the, 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 the challenge is what's the identity of this team? Who can they ultimately be? What's the best version of them? We're not going to see the best version because Thomas Bryant tore his ACL. So what, what, what kind of impact, what's our best hope? I mean, the problem is they're sitting two games out in the loss column from the seven to 10 play in spot. So is that their ambition? Well, I mean, here, he, I mean, you know, I, I, unfortunately, whenever I get into Wizards talk on this podcast, it just always goes downhill. And this is like, I mean, Bradley Beal's had a great year. Uh, and I've been talking Bradley Beal forever. And I know that's like, well, duh. But I mean, like, even at a point when John Wall was still at his peak to me, like Bradley Beal was the guy that I kept viewing as the, the one, the more interesting one, because he's just such a malleable player and, and the way he goes about his business. And um, we can get more about, the dynamic with him and wall in a minute, but um, you know, now obviously, you know, Danny Avdia is really interesting. He's a rookie, you know, you know, and, and you know, all that, but I think he's good. And I'm not the biggest Rui Hachimura fan, but you know, you can always talk yourself into upside. And I say, I'm not the biggest fan. I just mean like, I don't view him as an all-star player based on what I've seen, but okay. You can talk yourself into optimism, but man, I think, and this is a statement. I said this, but before they made the trade, the, the wall Westbrook trade, I said, this is the least interesting. I think this team has been, at least at a minimum in the entirety of the John Wall era. And honestly, in maybe for some time before that, because at least at various other iterations, um, you, you had some younger players or some op or some reason to be optimistic, or you just kind of knew they stunk. This was like this weird hybrid of, well, they're, they're not good enough to really contend because you didn't know what John Wall would be realistically. And even if he was the version kind of what we have seen with Houston, 
what's that even doing for you? I, I mean, th- th- they weren't good enough to get past ultimately the second round of the playoffs when these guys were on the ascension with Marching Gortat, a, a good Marquise Morris, Otto Porter, and so on. So where are you going to be at now when you have this like mix of like really young players who haven't developed and, uh, you know, all that? Then they make the trade. Before the trade, I would say, like, I wasn't the biggest advocate of, of trading for Westbrook because it was a lot of the reasons I find I, I, I found Wall frustrating sometimes was Westbrook had those on steroids. <laughs> and then um, I just felt like, and even after I talked myself into the trade after they made it, that in the short term, I understood why for the reasons you, we've already articulated. But in the long term, I, I worried that we, they were just kicking the pain down the road, that eventually Westbrook would either, there would be some attrition with his skills or would he eventually wear it as welcome to some degree with Beal as it's happened in other spots because of the way he plays. You mentioned the uh, in the playoffs kind of being a little bit overboard with taking on a role. Net, that, but, but, but all of that before was with John Wall, uh, the, the city's guy, the guy that no matter what's going to happen, the people were behind him because he helped you have one of the better stretches this franchise had in years. Now it's a guy who just got here. There's no in, emotional investment in him. And wow, it looks so – it is it is somehow – more painful than I thought it was going to be if they had just stayed with what they had because Westbrook is looking like he's on the decline. There was some optimism with some of these games here and there recently because of uh, you know the 40-point game or whatever, but he doesn't look good. And there's two more years left in his contract. You can't get rid of him in a trade because he makes so much money. You cannot possibly look to tack on more picks to get rid of him. You just did that with Wall. They may be stuck with this and, oh, my God, this is the worst. I mean, purgatory is, I mean, wow. It, it, at least if you're in hell, you know where you're at and where to go. If you're in purgatory, you're kind of stuck. And they may be there on so many negative ways that this is, I, they may have painted themselves into a corner that I don't actually know how you get out of for two years. And, and that to me is why this is so scary if Westbrook doesn't have a major turnaround. That That's exactly right. I mean, I, I know I shared with you, the meanest communication that I received um, this NBA season was was from Simmons, who sent a, a, a pointed note asking, would you rather, now that we're however many games we were into the season, have John Wall and Tyrese Halliburton and your number and your number one pick next year or whatever, 23? Uh, or would you rather have this version of of Westbrook and 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 you know uh, Denny and and that trade? So um, this is the worst case scenario, right? It is um, each each element of uh, the component parts that are most important to this team's success. Thomas Bryant's progress; he tore his ACL. Davis Berton showing up ready to go, ready to shoot eight threes a game and make three and a half of them. I just need 35% out of him, right? 40% would be awesome, but if he shoots 10 and I can get between 35 and 40%, I'm thrilled. He's been horrendous, horrendous shooting percentage-wise, and he also seems to be one-dimensional, which means when he's not shooting well, he's half-dimensional. Because you don't even get the full one dimension of him shooting from from range when he's shooting so poorly. His defense is is I, I had no idea um, the how, what, how how low it could go. 
by, by the way, I think you're not being completely fair to him because it's not, you obviously cannot play a full game of five on five uh, during the off season in Latvia. Obviously <laughs> that's not an option because I mean, I understand there's a pandemic and that, that causes issues of no, you know, but like that, that, that person clearly you I mean, couldn't figure out a way to get 10 guys in that country together. Cause otherwise he comes in, he comes in here in, in better shape. I mean, obviously other NBA players from wherever they were from seem to have worked this out. And I, I don't know what else was going on with him. So if something else is happening, I'm not, you know, what do I know? But yes, yeah, very confusing for what it's worth. I, I, I'm on the record at the trade deadline last year without admittedly, without knowing the exact offers that were available, I said I would look to trade him in part because one, get the immediate return. And two, if you don't trade him, you 100% have to sign him, which is what his agent clearly understood. Because I, while I know that the fifth year he got isn't fully guaranteed and all that, like three, I've said this many times now, three players signed five-year deals in the offseason. One was Anthony Davis. I always forget who the second guy was, but it was somebody bigger than Bertans. And then this guy, because this is what the Wizards always end up doing. They play for the short term and end up paying in the long term because they, they, they make these short-sighted moves. And then, again, we'll see what happens with Bertans. He's, you know, as you said, he's sort of looking more like the guy we saw last year in terms of making his shots. But, like, let's just even say he came into camp good. What's your upside? Are you telling me that your plane is Bradley Beal, whether it was Wall or Westbrook and Bertans, and now you're competing at the highest levels? to make the NBA finals? Of course not. But prior to last year, Bertans had never averaged 10 points a game. He made, it was a very good move for the Wizards. Kudos to Tommy Shepard, gave up nothing to get this guy all, all the praise. And I don't have an issue with resigning him, but like there's always a price to pay for this team. They always overspend. Uh, you know, we, we saw it in the horrendous 2016 offseason. It's to some degree happens here. Now you're locked into Bertans on some level. Yes, I know you could trade anything, but you know what I mean? Like what was the plan anyway? Uh, it's it's stuff like that that just like what what, but, what if you're trying to win the title this couldn't have been the plan so please don't tell me that's the goal see i've been uh and maybe this is a little bit of of you know battered fan syndrome um i've been sensitized to like a, a reasonable goal is to make the playoffs i think that's like you know making the playoffs is desirable and there is no arguing that getting to the playoffs and competing um, and seeing it, it does have a kind of uh, amplification effect, right? It is a force multiplier to put guys like Brad Beal and John Wall and the young guys into the playoffs so they can see what that level of basketball is, is all about. And it undoubtedly helped both Wall and Beal um, in their careers Absolutely. to get to the playoffs. And, and, you know, now they did have some veterans around it. They had Morris, they had Drew Gooden for, for half a heartbeat. Uh, more Gortat was here. Um, we had, uh, um, we traded him twice. Who am I blanking? Trevor Ariza. Yes, Ariza. Exactly. I mean, there were vets around that had accomplished some stuff and bit played some playoff games. Yeah to go with Beal and Wall. And like, that's the thing, like that aspect worked. You had the two up and coming guys, plus, you know, Otto Porter was, was, was a young pick, Kelly Oubre. You had the younger guys who are the, you, the future stars, the future pieces you're going to build around learning with veterans who've been there, done that, or have some experience, like all the guys you just said. This is sort of, sort of the inverted though. The, you already know where you're at with, with Beal and then I guess the Westbrook or Wall. And like, you kind of already know, well, wait, the, 
I mean, I'm not saying there's not upside. Beal gets better every year, but like he's never going to be the best player in the league, right? I mean, he's he 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 could very well by the time people hear this be named an all-star, maybe even a starter based on the fan voting and things like that, which is a fantastic rise. But he, and as good as he is, he's not a top five player in the league. It's and whatever Denny and, and Rui are like, it doesn't, I don't know where their ceilings go. There's value in making the playoffs. Totally agree. But the talk of what they're doing is, you know, it always plays out more. I've talked about this so many times, how like even things like where they built the, the, uh, the, the practice facility and the reasons yeah. why it was built where it was, which is great for that community. But I don't know if they're necessarily the best move for the organization, the G league scenario, I mean, with the Wizards are the only team that hot that name a a, a a new GM for a G League team, and and kudos uh, for 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 the move and, uh, there. But they don't actually have a team this year. They're actually not. They have sent their players to somebody else's team in this bubble because they didn't decide that it was worth it. You can quibble whether it is or it isn't. I don't know, but like it's all those investments that they don't make typically year in year out that lead to these things of making try to make these moves that look like they're doing things. I, I wrote something earlier in the year about all the reasons why they fell apart. And one of the, t- one of the sections I called fake hustle. And like, this is constantly that it looks like they're doing things, but in terms of winning the title, which is what people claim they want, like you, they've been desensitized to, Oh, the six seed. That's not bad. Which, sure. I, I, I hear you. It's fun. It's, well, more, it's more fun to make the playoffs, but like, come on, don't snow us on actually trying to win when it doesn't look like that's actually happening. What you're really getting at, and this is, to me, the guts of the issue, and it's been true for 20-some-odd years now, coming up on 20 years, let's say. There are an afterthought to the Caps. Ted Leonsis and the, the Monumental Sports franchise has been printing money for as long as Alex Ovechkin has been here, and even a little before that, sellouts every single night at the Capital One Arena, uh, a, a rabid hockey community from the suburbs that come down, down downtown 41 nights a year to see the Caps and have been, by all measures, uh, a, an enormous economic success, for sure, and also an on-ice product that's competitive and compelling and an easy thing for the people of the DMV to support and, and, you know, fall in love with and have it become part of, of the Washington sports identity. The wizards have been an afterthought uh, compared to that under the, the, the tenure of Leonsis in the first instance, for whatever reason, they were comfortable. Essentially it looks to from the, from an outsider's perspective, uh, letting Ernie Grunfeld run the team with carte blanche. And there was uh, a handful of characteristics of, of his general manager style. Um, draft picks were, 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 you know, negligible. They were always fungible. You always look into trade um, a draft pick when you can do it for, for a vet, um, a heavy emphasis on, a, a low ceiling is like, you know, the, the, um, uh, not a very high ambition for the franchise during any aspect of, of the Grunfeld era there. They did hit a couple of, of, you know, home runs. Gilbert Arenas was a home run. Um, 
uh, uh, Bradley Beal with the third slot, a home run. Yeah, I mean, the Nene trade worked out, obviously. Gortat worked out, um, you know, know, some other pieces here and there, but obviously the list of negatives, which I do want to touch on briefly later, uh, was was pretty severe. You know, it's interesting. So many people make the, the, the point that you just made about that Ted seems to be more invested in the Caps than the Wizards. I actually don't actually know that I think that's true. He runs them. If you look at sort of in broad terms, they are two separate organizations, but he kind of runs them the same way. My, my take has always been he's, he's willing to spend money on the overt product, the thing that's a revenue generator, i.e. salary, maybe the head coach, maybe the GM, depending on who it might be. But the ancillary stuff, he doesn't. And if you look at the history of the Capitals, he had George McPhee, McPhee forever, sort of his version of Ernie Grunfeld. But all the time, the head coaches that they were hiring were guys who were just complete unknowns for the most part, minor league hockey coaches, um, guys who had no experience. He didn't, it wasn't really until, I mean, Barry Trotz to a degree, and that may be more Peter Laviolette that they invested in a coach. But even simultaneously, who did he bring in as the GM? Give Brian McClellan credit, but effectively the Tommy Shepard guy, the guy who was the number two, who can't be making any real money there. Um, so they they never simultaneously spend a lot on either on both positions together, and it's kind of been the same way. The Wizards a little bit. Grunfeld, I don't think made nearly the salary that other GMs made over time. The head coaches he did spend on, with Scott Brooks being the most obvious. But I think ultimately, Alex Ovechkin was the number one pick in the draft and became one of the ten best players ever in the sport. John Wall was the number one pick in the draft, effectively under Leonsis, more or less. And a very good player, a multi-time all-star, not one of the 10 best players. If John Wall, instead of being John Wall, was Steph Curry, right? I mean, which ironically they could have done, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're looking at it the same way because I think we, I, I think it's because the, the Ovechkin thing was such an, the, the absolute home run of home runs that it turned out. I think he still cares more about the basketball team, or at least he did initially. But from a business perspective, the Caps have been better so it's easier to point to them versus I think the Wizards in that sport, it's just harder for them to get up. And then they didn't help themselves with their own mistakes. And as good as John Wall or Bradley Beal are, they weren't LeBron or the Ovechkin equivalent in, in the NBA. So I that's a good point and, and a fair point. And my quibble isn't really with the inclination of the franchise to spend money, um, because I think they have been willing to spend money. My real quibble is with the decision makers the folks that they have empowered with the direction of the franchise being, um, you know, uh, not up to the task, like not matching uh, the talent to the iterations of the NBA as the NBA has changed over the years, always looking to backfill personnel after the sea change has occurred. This has been a, a repeating dynamic. The one time they were ahead of the curve was with Karan and Antoine Jameson and Gilbert, and then Gilbert got hurt and Gilbert got a gigantic, you know, contract, uh, that was a, a franchise crippling contract for as long as that was on, on the books. And they did do the teardown and the rebuild through the draft. And they had middling success in the draft. Wall was the, you know, it was Wall or Boogie Cousins and is, is you know, the, the top folks available uh, in that draft. And and then, you know, Brad Beal um, it, with the third selection in the, in, in the draft that he was taken in um, was a, was a, you know, very, very defensible um, move, but the the 
biggest complaint I would have is with what, what appears from an outsider's perspective to be unearned loyalty. I mean, the, the inability of, of Grunfeld. And, and part of the challenge is we've heard lots of stories about how progressive the franchise is in identifying tools to help them be better about identifying players and putting players in their best position skill set wise. They were one of the first folks to have the technology where at the top of the stadium, you're looking down and charting the course of, of players movement and all that kind of stuff, all of the fanciest technologies. And I know they have a dedicated analytics component um, in their uh, front office. They, they've been, uh, they've had those folks in place for, for years, um, it just hasn't translated into the kind of, of eye-opening, um, you know, player, uh, cohesive, comprehensive player development, plus, you know, a, a, a game plan that you can look to and say, oh, okay, this makes sense to me. Um, I know what the plan is. I know what the goal ultimately will be. Here are the parts. We might have some back steps, backward steps because of, of bad luck, but we have a plan. And the problem I have is I, I ha felt like, I feel like as you and I are sitting here talking on January the 17th, 2021, Ben Standig, what is the effing plan? And I feel like we could have had this conversation each of the previous four years. A hundred, a hundred percent. By the way, just to, to, to restate here, uh, Ben Standig here, we're the, the Standing Room Only podcast with our very special guest, Mr. Joe House from The Ringer. Um, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I told, I've told people that part of the reason I, I missed doing the podcast, the previous ones I did, so I was uh, kind of pushed the athletic to help me get this one going. And part of it was during the pandemic, I needed to talk to people, honestly. <laughs> and this is the type of episode like, like, like that, because this is, a, hopefully this is entertaining, but for me, it's some level of therapy to, to, to vent, to the airing of the grievances. So I just took some notes on some various things you, you just said. So among them, like you said that the part of the issue is, is the decision makers and that they're, that they were allowed to sort of, you know, do what they did. Like I always come back to just like with any employer, right? Or any employee, why is the employee able to do those things? The, the, the boss should logically see what's happening and you have to therefore ask the question, well, maybe they're actually doing what was asked. And not to say that necessarily Ted Leones has said, you should make this exact move, but here are the parameters. Like I always point to the trade deadline a couple of years ago when they sent Otto Porter out for essentially nothing, right? They, they, they got Jabari Parker and uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, whatever. They, they, they got yeah. They got nothing that was sustainable. This Bobby was the, Portis, maybe. Bobby Portis, right. Yeah. This was the, they traded away the third pick in the draft that they had just given. We can all say they overpaid Otto Porter now, obviously, but like, whatever. I thought it was a right move to keep him. It was wrong that they waited too long and overpaid. But regardless, this guy who was a, who was a key component to the part of your rise and you threw him away. Why? Because John Wall got hurt. We knew he was out for a while with the Achilles. You were over the luxury tax. And Ted said, I'm imagining we're going under the tax, do what you have to do to get rid of this. So they traded out of water for nothing. That is an insane decision. If you're going to commit to this end, you've got to, it has to be seen through because otherwise like, what are you doing? And that's just one example of lurching from thing to thing, trading earlier that off season. I've never was the biggest Kelly Oubre fan. And we see right now, even with Golden State, it's very up and down to say the least, but there was at least some potential, right? And they traded him away with Austin Rivers 
to get Trevor Ariza, who I like Trevor Ariza, but like on the back end of his career on an expiring contract for what a team that was at best going to limp into the playoffs, but this is what they do. It's all some sort of short-term react to the moment instead of have a plan sort of like you're, 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 you're talking about. And then to bring it back sort of to where we're at now, you know, the coaching and the development of stuff. My, my thought is, like, again, this is not the world's best team right now. I don't think that's an argument. And obviously with Westbrook not playing up to his level, it makes it even worse and Thomas Bryant and so on. I still think we would see more out of this team with a different group running it. Scott Brooks's rotations drive me insane. Uh, I've, I've been very public about this on this podcast and elsewhere. It, it, it boggles my mind. I mean, the fact that earlier in the year, he thought for one minute that going with Westbrook, Neto, and Ish Smith made any sense. Like, I don't even care that it didn't work out. I just mean, like, what was the logic going into the decision to put Westbrook out there with two non-shooters who are ball handlers by nature? What? Like, like and it's not just the only one. It's always been this way. Uh, it, it drives me crazy. The, the, the assistant coaching staff, like, I don't know how to rank assistant coaches staffs, but in talking to people around the league, I don't think anybody thinks this is some great group. If Brooks were to get fired today, who would be the guy? There's no obvious next person as far as we all we all know and then the support staff from there they made a big deal over the last year or two they brought in all these other people when when they struck out with tim Connolly, which was a weak offer to get him they, they made a show eventually to try to get him but then the actual attempt was my example of fake hustle uh, i had reported at the time about the masai ujiri stuff ted leonce's claims nothing to it Okay, why there would be nothing to it? Like why you would push it back against the idea right. of going to get this guy makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, then in order, knowing there would be backlash, I'm assuming to just going to Tommy Shepard, they came up with this team of teams thing <laughs> where you had like multiple divisions for what? To try to create the illusion that there was like you, you were doing something unique and interesting. Okay, um, it's all of these things. Like it's it's not really solving the problem it's trying to make it look like we're solving the problem and i was down with scott brooks when it came on board he had obviously had good success with okc even though you heard questions about things he did he shows up here and soon after i was like oh i'm now seeing those questions enacted in real life and it's been for me a, a big question I, so i do kind of wonder if they had a different coaching staff in place would even the same talent we're seeing get better results? Because Beal, I think, is a really good player and a really good leader, a guy that you can you can get people to rally behind. I think we saw that last year. But uh, the, like the, I know it's just so frustrating to see what what maybe could be if things had been different on that, at least on that one front. Sure, and I think we're gonna see right, like because nobody can tolerate the outcome that we seem to be headed towards i mean i don't know what scenario this team does better their current winning percentage is is 320 which translates to 26 wins uh, on an 82 game schedule i i unless you mentioned it a little bit ago unless something dramatic happens with westbrook where the version of westbrook that we saw against brooklyn 10 days ago becomes the predominant version of Westbrook where he's flying all over the basketball court and the triple double comes naturally because of how many times he touches the ball on rebounds and he's playmaking unless that version. And again, this was the hope at the outset of the season, 
the flying around athletic version of Westbrook that is definitely an all-star, even if he's not an all NBA level player, that was a reasonable expectation when this season started. If, and what we have is 40 cents on the dollar of that version of, of Westbrook. I don't even think we have 50 cents on the dollar because he's only played, you know, in, in, in 18 of their games. Um, so it, it, unless we get that version, this is going to be a team that'll be lucky to win 40% of their games. And we come up to the end of the season and what are we doing? What's the plan at that point? We can have reasonable hope that Thomas Bryant will uh, come back from his knee injury. We'll have a reasonable hope of getting a decent draft pick, uh, I guess. And, and that's it, right? Like, Roy Hachimura has to get better at basketball. We have to find out whether or not Denny Avdia can play, can play in a playmaker role as opposed to he's lucky to touch the ball role, which is the role that he has right now. Right. He was a playmaker for all of his time in Europe, and that's the reason I think this this uh, the front office was so yeah. enamored of, of of him. And I like what he does. Like he, when he has Me the too. ball, he's a really good pass. I'm, I'm a sucker for passers. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's between Beal and Westbrook. It's hard for anybody to get the ball, let alone the 19 year old rookie, uh, for, 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 for sure. Um, I, I, this is how good the conversation has been for me. At least I see that looking at the clock, I've, we've already gone over like <laughs> Matt, the time I kind of wanted to spend on the wizards, uh, that we still didn't even get to the idea of the Beal trade. I wanted to talk to you about what you think about the broadcast and other stuff, but you also want to, we also want to talk about the football team. And I said, we can have open forum. So I'll let you as the guest determine, pick any of those topics, uh, Beal broadcast, the, the football team or anything else. Where, what do you, uh, what, what, what's on uh, House's mind? Well, I'm very excited to talk about the football team. So we are going to get there quickly, but I would still like to get your thoughts as we sit here today. The team is eight and 18. What, what is the, 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 the record? Uh, and two games out of eight, what is it? Eight and 17. Yes, eight and 17, two games in the lost column out of the seven to 10 slot for the play in to make the playoffs. Um, I still have not moved, wavered, um, reconsidered my position whatsoever that Bradley Beal should be traded, that now is the time to build assets as much as possible in the new NBA where draft picks are the assets. That's the most valuable currency. The Wizards don't have any of that currency. Let's go get some of that currency and let's build a young nucleus around the, some of the guys that are here and just see it's, it's look, we're, we're not going to get any better version of Beal than this version of Beal right now. And the guy is wasting the best years of, of, of his professional career. They're just, it's just a waste. So, uh, and I'm, by the way, very well compensated. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, top 10 level compensated. So he has plenty of inducement um, to play as hard as he can. And I have never had any doubt about his incentives or motivations. But I mean, free, free Brad Beal is my view. Uh, yeah, I totally get why people want him out of here. Uh, I just, boy, I can't even, I, I shudder to think about what it would be like watching these games the rest of this season, at least. If taking Beal off the off the court, you know, almost no matter what else you're getting, um, and, you know, look, and you you and Simmons did this uh, a really deep dive about Beal trades recently. By the way, I think the thing that's so interesting about all this is, I think I actually think Ted Leonsis probably doesn't hate this. By the way, I just sitting here uh, uh, at my desk, I actually have 
the uh, the, 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 the tent. <laughs> there book. he is. It's uh, it's it's just a reminder. The of, man like, himself. It's the the business. It's a reminder. I got to stay happy. The business of happiness. Yeah, um, Ted. Ted's happy. Yeah, but yeah. I I actually kind of wonder if he kind of secretly is. Like here are the most important players in the NBA this season in some order: LeBron James, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, and Bradley Beal. He gets talked about all the time in ways that no Wizards player ever did just by being good. He's the he's the missing piece for half the league, at least people think. And so it's constantly getting talked up. And I actually think that makes him interesting for the Wizards to hold on to. I guess I would personally say this. I understand. I'm honestly sort of in the middle on this one. Um, I understand the idea of saying punt, but because Westbrook is now here for the other two years, you can't fully punt. I would wait till the offseason at least. I just think more teams open up. If Golden State says, look, we'll give you Wiseman, we'll give you that Minnesota pick, whatever else, that might be the one that could sway me now. But other than that, I think I'd just rather wait, have more suitors in the offseason and see where see where I'm at. And even from the Wizards' perspective, again, you know, do they get lucky and get the Cade Cunningham pick? Do we see more from Denny and Rui the rest of the way? I'm not saying that all of a sudden that means now they're contending, but – Maybe within, they already can do some stuff. And I do think, again, if there's a new coaching staff, Scott Brooks is last year of his deal, so we'll see. But I would imagine there'll be a new staff. What does that look like? So I would wait, but I understand the idea of, uh, of wanting to, to, to move on uh, now. So, yeah, Golden State was the one that seems to me like whatever. And by the way, Denver playing tonight, like playing the Wizards tonight, I feel like they got to do something. They seem like they're floundering and they're the one we always talk about with Beal. I'm not Michael Porter Jr. scares me a little bit, but uh, that would be interesting as well. I mean, he's an incandescent talent, but it's apparent. It's, it's obvious, not just apparent that if you get MPJ, you would better have a coaching staff and a development strategy with him to get them the most out of him and that you're going to have folks on the psychological side, you know, you need a full comprehensive holistic approach to a player like that, but he, he, you know, an un, unmatched ceiling. How about this? We've just did 50 minutes on the Washington wizards. That's 48 minutes more than they really deserve Ben standing, but there is hope here in Washington as it relates to our football team and I can't wait to hear who you have for me, who's going to be the next quarterback of the Washington football team. By the way, what's the name going to be? Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic, fantastic question. I, I wish I, I wish I knew. Uh, the, I don't I, hate Washington football team. Uh, as so I can't view this as anything other than the job I have. And for my job, it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I can never reference to them as the football team the way I would the Cowboys, the the, the Wizards. I'm not going to reference them as the football team. It makes it sounds too weird. So I'm always in my I have to use Washington repeatedly or come up with like it or other. It's it's very weird. So you got to get rid of that. But All right. Beyond that, I'm open to uh, I'm open to suggestions. Okay. I don't have any for you. Uh, I, I don't either. I mean, it's uh it's such a weird dynamic. Uh, Obviously, yeah, no, no, no clue on that one. It's, it's fun. I mean, yeah. suggestions well, welcomed. 
you sent me a note when we were planning this because um, we've tried to do this pod a couple of times and then real life sporting events in the Washington scene have intervened and kept us from from connecting. And you made the joke that, you know, we're, we're going to be on uh, Wednesday, early part of the day, unless something crazy like Marcus Mariota uh you know coming by way of, of of trade happens and then i i wrote back i noticed it when i pulled up my phone and we were exchanging notes this morning i meant to send you a note like oh my god i can't believe you said marcus Mariota. he's my number one that's the guy that i want here my concern is that uh the raiders will understand that he is their best hope for a quarterback going forward and they'll let um their cargo and then we'll end up with with you know uh it's some kind of Derek Carr, Sam Darnold kind of, uh, you know, situation here, but Holy cow, if we could get Mariota, that's my guy. I love him. Like, did you, is it because of the, I didn't see the game last year. I guess I have to go back and watch. I get, I don't remember what I was doing, but the, because of the one game he had this year or like historically you've been that you've been in his corner. Well, I, I um, have been in his corner ever since he cost me, a sum of money that is uncomfortable and that I'm not going to repeat here on this podcast because uh, a handful of years ago, I had the chiefs uh, up against the Titans in the first round of the playoffs. The chiefs were hosting and Mariota single-handedly led the Titans to an upset. And it was a big, uh, you had to lay a lot of juice on the money line to, if you wanted to take the chiefs and I laid it all and Marcus Mariota threw himself a touchdown in that game. And ever since then, that, that's what converted me to, 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 to believe. Now, um, I, I love his particular skill set for this version of the NFL that exists right now. Two years ago, I don't know if I would have loved him as much as I love him now. And with this present coaching staff in place here in Washington. And that's the breath of fresh air that I can't wait to, to get your take on. Um, you did an unbelievable interview with the nincompoop, uh, Jay Gruden, my favorite dunderhead in, in Washington coaching history. I mean, he, he was more entertaining to me than Steve Spurrier. Um, but uh, the coaching staff, the, the decision makers present here in Washington now it's an it's a very weird sensation to trust that they are, trust their instincts to believe that they are leading the franchise in in the right direction. But lo and behold, we won the NFC East against all odds. That's one I should have bet on at the beginning of the season. So I trust that they're going to make a good decision or at least run a great process when it comes to who's going to be the the quarterback of, of this team in the 2021 season. What do you think? Well, and this is like so interesting, right? I mean, you just said very passionately that you have optimism with the Washington football team and their decision makers. As a reminder, Dan Snyder is still the owner, right? And yet, despite that, because Ron Rivera, he brought in, Ron Rivera seems like he knows what he's doing. And I think also is like Ron Rivera seems like he has some backbone. Yes, there's there's clearly some, he, I think he has a good, he has good political um instincts as to how to handle the owner and thus to allow him to build the team as needed versus like I remember thinking that Scott Brooks to go back to them for a second after the first year when they win 49 games and were within one game of the 
of reaching the Eastern Conference Finals, he had a lot of juice and a lot of political power and could have done things like tell sort of John Wall and some others, hey, you got to do this, do that, get, get in better shape when you come into camp, whatever. And he seemed to squander it constantly because his mode is to never say anything is bad. He is the, he is the emoji of the dog saying there's nothing wrong here when everything around him is on fire. But Rivera comes at this with some urgency and he does seem to have a good head on his shoulders and, you know, bringing in Marty Herney and, and Martin Mayhew, we'll see how that goes, but they seem like pretty reasonable football thinkers. And I think that's why people have optimism that Rivera makes you feel excited about this team. And I think you sense that with the players as well, house has his hand up uh, as part of that. So I give you, I give you that for sure. Um, as far as like the quarterback goes, you know, I, I predicted before Stafford happened that they would have made a play for Stafford because similar to last year with Amari Cooper, he was the clear best guy at that position. You weren't going to find somebody else who was going to give you that shot. Everybody else now, forget the hype, the hypotheticals, the people that we think that we know are available. Mariota is going to be available one way or the other. The Raiders cannot keep him realistically. So either they trade him or they release him. Uh, even if they themselves try to resign him. I would aim for the guys with the upside. That would be Mariota, Jameis Winston, Mitch Trubisky, uh, as opposed to the steady guys, your Andy Dalton's, your Tyrod Taylor's. You already have a baseline with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke. Some people will be more excited than others, about them, but mm-hmm. they kind of know what they are. They are guys who've shown that they can play, but they're not really 16-week starters. So I would aim for the upside. I think that's why I got like Mariota, is interesting. He gets hurt a lot though, and they're going to have to make that determination as to you know what whether they think that's just you know bad luck or or something else. And ultimately, it comes down to do they think between Scott Turner, Ken Zampezi, the coaching staff, which of these pieces, these broken misfit toys, whatever, can they uh, fix? And Marriott would certainly be an interesting one um, in the Athletic today. So meaning Wednesday, I have a story up about free agent wide receivers. And would they would they turn their nose down at a team like Washington if the quarterback situation is what it is? And within that story, I have something about, well, how do you improve the quarterback? And I, I asked around people what they think about a Mariota cost because I was hearing people talk about a second-round pick, a third-round pick. I was like, that doesn't make any sense for where he's at. And yeah. I had three executives tell me they thought like a fifth-round pick, something around that would make sense. I guess you could make that argument a fifth round pick, even if it's a one year, take that shot and then see if you can extend them. So I get it. I, I don't have your level of enthusiasm because to me, it's, it's a project. And I think, uh, look, I mean, Ryan Tannehill's exciting for Tennessee. That's where we're kind of talking about here. Can you find that guy and turn him into something? So I think Mariota fits that bill. I'd rather go down that route, but it's just hard to get overly excited about any of these guys for me because there's a reason why they're available. Quarterbacks don't become available for the most part, unless, um, you know, the team is rebuilding or they're just, you know, have, have, have issues. Is the indication right now that you're hearing that Jameis Winston could be available this off season? I don't think so. Maybe I didn't the, think so either. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, like he would be top of my list. And me too, and, and without a some, doubt. That's why right, I, right. I ask. Yeah. yeah. And then talking to some people, I think others, you know, sources around the league kind of feel the same, but I guess the, the belief is, and it makes sense, the, the Saints are in cap hell, like for real. But if you're Winston, where are you going to go? You've been there for a year. You get to be with Sean Payton. It's a dynamic offense. Yeah, Taysom Hill exists, but he's not a real quarterback. You know, I don't know. No, I, that's right. So he's probably has his best chance to not only st- st- 
start slash do it with a really good team. Um, so I get it from his perspective, why he, why that would work out almost regardless of the money. So yeah, I would like to think he's available, but I don't actually think he's going to be available right now at least. Well, I, I'm interested in, in picking your brain a bit further about why you're kind of skeptical. You, ha- you have a, some uh, ambivalence around the team improving um, by way of bringing in a, a talent that's at that sort of Mariota, Trubisky, Sam Darnold kind of level. You don't see that as a potential force multiplier in terms of, of taking them from a seven and nine team and, and helping them to three more wins, potentially 10 and six. And, you know, God forbid we dream 11 and five. You're not feeling that that's not your sentiment. It doesn't seem like, by the way, if this was one of those podcasts where like you do like a hashtag something to get people to, 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 you know, to sort of glom onto force multiplier would be the hashtag uh, (laughs) at this point. Um, I've used it twice. Yes. Yeah. We need it here in Washington, Ben. Absolutely. It's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good term. Um, I guess my thing is, it's like, maybe I'm too grounded. I don't know. I guess it's just sort of like, I'm not like some, there's a bunch of quarterbacks who are available this year. You mentioned, we've mentioned some of them, you you know, you could throw some others in there, Cam Newton or whatever. No, we cannot throw Cam Newton in there. Not under any circumstances. I'm with you. No, please. God, no. (laughs) That's the only one I just flat out say no to under, please. I hear. Well, look, I mean, Ron Rivera could have had him last year for cheap instead he traded for right. Kyle Allen, so I think that's right. what says something. But yes, um, somebody will hit. Somebody will, 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 will go to a team and it will work out in some way. And good for them if you can figure that out. I'm just sort of like, it's just hard to throw a dart. So I'm not, I mean, I'm, I, like I said, it's not that I'm not interested in those guys. It's just I think I think to be realistic, like why did Ryan Tannehill work out? This is a very simplistic answer. They had Derrick Henry, which yes. took a lot of pressure off of him. Whatever. Yes. So Washington has Antonio Gibson, has yes. Terry McLaurin. Right. Are those things enough? Maybe. But and Logan have, Thomas. And Logan Thomas, but you know, you still have some questions along the offensive line. The second receiver spot, yeah, isn't quite there. They're going to place the first place schedule this year. Now I know people will say, well, that's only like a two game difference over what it would have been otherwise. It's still two games. If you tack on, if there is the 17th game, they're getting the bills, which makes it even harder. Right. Um, and, and even like some of the optimism late in the season, I don't want to be the wet blanket, but look at the quarterbacks they beat. I've talked about this before. The quarterbacks they beat, you know, a team like Pittsburgh was clearly right. declining at the moment that they won, which not discounting for Washington, but whatever. So I think there's reasons to uh, be concerned. And I've pointed this out before too. In his first question, after they clinched the NFC East title to make the playoffs, the first response, the fourth sentence from Ron Rivera was, well, I guess this now means we have a lower draft pick and we're going to be uh, have a have the first place schedule. His thought went right there as opposed to embracing, wow, how great this was. So I just think it's going to be a tougher road. Uh, and this quarterback, I, I, some again, somebody will work, but I, I can't sit here and go, well, just because you bring in any of those guys – you're going to improve because that guy probably needs more help than we'll have to see what Washington else does, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to give the impression that I have um, outsized expectations for the team, the franchise by, you know, the, the, the talent that's out there right that right now, it's not get out of your seat talent, but bringing professional grade quarterback play across a 16 or 17 game schedule with somebody that's played a 16 or 17, you know, play that schedule all the way through all by itself 
becomes, you know, a, a pretty dramatic change for the franchise and for, for the offense, because we haven't had that for, for, for two years. And, you know, the Haskins experiment, um, and I know that you guys have covered it at the athletic ad, ad nauseum, all the reasons why it was a horrendous pick at the time and why he was destined to have the absolute worst possible entry point into the NFL, maybe in the history of, 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 a, of a quarterback drafted in the first round. I mean, he, he, even Jamarcus Russell had a chance. Um, but uh, notwithstanding Haskins and the Smith injury and all of the, you know, the shuffling that those, those two um, challenges require, just getting a guy that's like slightly above NFL average, right? Doesn't that all by itself create a reasonable expectation for a team that has a top five defense by any which way you want to measure it? In theory, it could for sure. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, well, this is all we work in is theories in this town, brother. Well, it's like it's like what you said before about like how being you've been conditioned to to be viewed <laughs> a, a, a six seed as optimism, and and right with the quarterback play over here, basically since Cousins left, it's been like wow. Uh, could you get anything that's remotely steady? So uh, I'm with you. I mean, like I said, if you tell me they pick, they get one of those quarterbacks, say Mariota, uh, they use their first round pick on a on a three down linebacker. They sign some free agent receiver of note and all the people you want to improve, improve. Sure. I mean, what I, I totally can buy by, I guess it's just for me is, uh, you know, if the goal is the Super Bowl, contending for it for real, it's just hard to wrap your head around that level of a quarterback unless everything else improves so much. Like the defensive line is some form of the 85 bears or, or whatever, you know, like some, something is such a difference maker, which they looked like at times in certain games, but the Tampa Bay Bucks g- g- gashed him for 507 yards. So sure. Um, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I, yep. I think there's reason to be optimistic and I don't want to be the guy telling people don't, 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 <laughs> not don't, in this town. Dream. Right. Not, um, not in this town. No, nah, not for sure. Um, we can, still, we can talk more about that. I do have a couple of questions I have to ask all the guests here. So you please. Uh, all right. So so uh, five questions for you. First off, with regards to Twitter, you, you've got a fair amount of Twitter followers, but not everybody follows you. Who is somebody that doesn't follow you on Twitter that you wish did? Oh wow! Uh, I didn't. I didn't um, practice up on this. I should have. Uh, I, I sprung th- it. I should have. Uh, Bradley Beal. That's who. I would love it if Bradley Beal followed me. I'm deep in the bag for that guy. I love what he's done for the franchise. Um, it would be an honor to have Brad Beal. I like it. I like it. Um, all-time favorite athlete. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, I'm gonna tell on myself. Um, because I've had the opportunity in different iterations to like participate in who's the most impactful Washington athlete of your lifetime kind of thing. For me personally, it's John Riggins. And it's John Riggins because of what he meant to taking the Washington football franchise from a certain place, a certain, you know, identity that it had in the early mid seventies and, and, you know, with the arrival of, of Joe Gibbs combined with, with, with Rigo and the Hogs, it's just that run that he had against the Dolphins uh, in the 83 Super Bowl, 82 Super Bowl, will always be forever uh, near and dear to my heart. The most important um, sports moment of my 
early development. So um, I'm a, I've been a Bullets fan my whole life. I got to go to the playoffs in 1978. Um, and so uh, Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld and Bobby Dandridge, I got to see those guys, humongous, you know, deep, long abiding love for them but but Rigo because of what it meant to the city you know this was back when Washington used to be a working class town uh and Rigo was a working class guy having beers with his offensive lineman out at the pickup truck after the game that was Washington DC uh at its at its heart and that's why it's Rigo for me I, I'm with you. I, I, I mean, it's a great. I, I almost feel like on some level, Riggins gets underappreciated over time. Not in terms of what he did, even, but what he meant to this to, to the city and that and that that not just that run against Miami, but the whole playoff up, up to that. It was just an epic performance. Um, you are based on what everybody knows about. It said, it said on the on the various Ringer podcast, you are known as a legendary eater, which is to say, I like to eat. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whenever this pandemic goes, is over, we can go back to normal, have a relaxing meal indoors at a restaurant. What's your number one DC area restaurant you want to go? Not saying get sandwiches all the back of the best food, but where you want to go, yeah, back, relax. Where's the where are you going? So we've had lots of time to think about this. And um uh, my, my answer is I'm going to Haleo and I'm going to the original Haleo in, in the P- Penn Quarter area in the first place because I got to do a tip of the hat to my man, Jose Andres, and, and all that he's done um, with his uh, World Food Kitchen enterprise. They took over. They inhabited the Nationals baseball stadium to create this incredible food delivery mechanism for people in the DMV who were, were fighting for, for meals and the first uh, responder, um, all the frontline healthcare support that that um, central kitchen provided. So ha- Jose Andres, as a guy who's made uh, a, a, a global impact, and it's, it's a point of pride f- for, to me for him to, 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 to emanate from Washington. And uh, the, the paella at Haleo, I'm going to order a whole one. And, and I'll see whether or not I have a pal or two alongside, um, but I'm going to eat my fill and it's going to be pitcher of sangria after pitcher of sangria after pitcher of sangria. And I'm going to have to ask the Uber to help me up off the curb and into the vehicle to, to, to get me home. That's the meal that I have lined up. It might be multiple paellas, to be honest with you, Ben. Uh, it, it might not just be, uh, you know, the, the one down the middle. It might be the one with the rabbit in it. I have to have the duck. I mean, it's it's going to be all the paellas and all the sangria. That's my answer. Uh, uh, I'm my, my mouth is watering. I, I, I need to have lunch as soon as we're done. So now <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very hungry all, all of a sudden. Um, this is sort of related to the food thing. I guess it doesn't have to be. One of the questions I ask everybody is based on a on a on a hobby or a habit. What's a Hall of Fame that you would qualify for? Mine, my mine is basically I, I'm I'm such a 7-Eleven devotee that I would be in the first ballot 7-Eleven Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh! But uh, what? Uh, did, I mean, I know food is, uh, is yeah, a thing, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be anything else. I mean, Popeye's fried chicken comes to mind. Um, it has been uh, an element of of my life since I was very 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 young. Uh, the, the there's a Popeye's fried chicken that's on Wisconsin Avenue, uh, up in the Tenley Town sure. area, 
and my grandfather, um, you know, the house that, that as a child, my mother would take us to on Sundays to see my grandfather was over off in Nebraska Avenue in that quadrant of the city. So we go visit granddaddy. And then, you know, at an early age, somewhere in there, my mother understood the, the, the compulsion of, of um, spicy fried chicken. And she introduced it to us uh, at an early enough age. So I, I think um, I, I could lay claim to, to the Popeye's Hall of Fame. I, I, I like it. Um, all right, back to the Wizards. We'll, we'll keep it to the John Wall era. So from the moment John Wall uh, gets drafted till now, I let you redo any one move. Now, I'm not, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but like, you know, I'm not saying, well, I wouldn't draft Otto Porter, but I instead draft Giannis. Like, that's a bit much, but whatever you want to do, you can redo any one move, a, a, a draft, a signing, a, 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 a coaching decision. I don't know, whatever it is, you get to redo any one thing. What's the one thing? I would not have extended Randy Whitman. The year after Randy Whitman ushered them into the playoffs and they had a surprising victory. They beat Toronto in the first round of the playoffs. He was, he was an interim coach that because they had that unexpected moment of success uh, with a first round victory um, over Toronto, a Toronto team that on paper was more talented um, and it cost, uh, he's the coach of Detroit now, his job. Um, uh, I can't remember his name. But in any event, um, the head coach of the Detroit Pistons is the, is the coach who lost his job in Toronto because oh, Randy Whitman Dwayne beat Casey. him. Dwayne Casey, exactly, exactly. Um, I would not have extended Whitman. The thing that those young guys needed at that moment in their careers, and this is a persistent theme with this Washington franchise they have underperformed in this way is development putting those guys in a situation to maximize who they can be to for, for to get their basketball talents uh, the best version of it instead it was the inmates running the asylum and that really became the prevailing dynamic with John Wall all the way up until the time that he got hurt. And this is why we had this very weird experience with Wall here, beloved by the city, a tremendous impact in terms of, of, of um, charitable works and his connection to the, to the city. On the other hand, getting in his own way a bunch in terms of attitude uh, occasionally when he was hurt and he had a, a everybody eats kind of a contra temp with my boy Martin Gortat uh, and you know some of the affiliations and friendships that he's had just could not get out of his his own way as far as the franchise was concerned but I tie all that back to his formative years when you could as a franchise try and create a kind of professionalism in the franchise and development wise that would have brought out a better version potentially. And that's the move that I would have made. Oh, that's so interesting because Randy Whitman is getting a lot of love these days because of how he's, his time is being viewed compared to, to Scott Brooks, how unless the wizards have some unbelievable turnaround this year, Whitman will go down and assuming Brooks is done after this year, Whitman will go down as being the better coach, which seems impossible because Scott Brooks came in with a much better reputation. And the very first year they win 49 games. And yet somehow it looks like it's going to go the other way. But at the same time, you know, Randy Whitman became the head coach because he and the other assistants had, for whatever the reason, had one extra year on their deals that Flip Saunders 
didn't. So when they got rid of Flip Saunders, all the assistants were still there and they decided we're going to keep them. And, and to your point, when you have John Wall, you have uh, whoever, you know, what you had all this young talent on the team that instead of investing in it the best way you could, they made a decision to stay with a, a guy who at that point had the worst winning percentage of all time for any head coach over a certain amount of games. And, and again, I think Whitman did a pretty decent job, all things considered, but it wasn't, it wasn't the next, it wasn't taking it to the next level. Right. Well, how do we go from a, you know, how do we go from here to there? Exactly. Instead it was like, well, we're here. How do we deal within these parameters? So no, that's a good, that, that was definitely not on my list of thoughts, but that was a very, <laughs> uh, that was a very good one. Um, I know I got to get you out of here. So, but any, uh, anything else we need to address or discuss or anything, uh, well, I saw the over-unders for the baseball season came out and the Nationals were at 84 and a half. And I had to ask my colleague, is a potential win total for the Washington Nationals, are they really only going to be a few games above 500? Is that who they are right now? I am definitely not the person to address this, but like, yeah, I'm right. It's just 500. So, I mean, Scherzer, Strasburg... Corbin Corbin's alone. still there, right? right. They, they, they have Brad Hand, right, who was a big loss for my AL-only fantasy team. Uh, <laughs> he came over here, so I don't I lose him. And then, obviously, you know, Juan Soto, you've got some bats. I mean, I guess like anything else, it's a matter of health and whatever, and they had a really weird year last year, but that sure. seems low to me. I will inquire with uh Yeah, people. ask your baseball guys for me. Uh, I will I will ask uh, Britt Giroli. We have a new uh, Nats writer starting Monday. As of this Monday, I don't know if you Maria Torres. I don't know if you know Oh, that. terrific. Yeah. From I'm LA excited. Town. I'll check out Maria's work. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited for that as well. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm i an Orioles guy. So, uh, I, I, unfortunately, because the Orioles basically don't play in the major leagues anymore. Yeah. I, I, I was been... an Orioles guy. I had season tickets when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and would drive from Silver Spring up to Baltimore um because that trip on 95 you could do it if you were lucky and if you were young about 25 minutes or so um <laughs> i don't recommend going making it that quickly but uh no that's who i grew up with but peter angelos ruined baseball for me so fuck him and fuck the orioles sorry to end with the f-bombs on your pod my friend uh it's okay we don't edit things, things like that i've cursed plenty uh yeah they definitely did it i just never jumped ship but i understand to a degree why People were frustrated uh, with 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 that guy. Uh, hopefully, nobody is frustrated with anything that House uh, ever says on his podcast over at the Ringer. Uh, go follow him on Twitter at House from DC. You're not the most prolific tweeter, but you know you'll you'll throw some uh, you'll throw some stuff out there uh, from time to time. Yeah, it's when I'm watching games. We'll, we will get going in earnest. Um, both golf season and NBA season are now kind of in full tilt. And I was distracted. I did a football show um, most recently on the Ringer NFL uh, show feed with Warren Sharp, who was a deep football analytics guy based here in the DMV. I, I had no idea until I started doing the show with him. But it got in the way of my, uh, you know, what would have been my sort of normal volume of tweeting on golf and and basketball so i know everybody's dying for that i also um will put up some food pictures uh on on occasion i had an unbelievable ribeye sunday night that that should show up on both the gram and the twitter so that that's something to look forward to absolutely warren sharp has like a real power mustache he's he's an all-timer he's one of a kind that warren (laughs) i love the guy 
Um, Houseman, I really appreciate it. I'm glad we got this done. Uh, hopefully one day we can have a positive Wizards podcast. As we were going through this, I'm like, oh man, this is really, this is a lot. But like, <laughs> I don't know what to say at this point. Hopefully things will turn around. I mean, uh, one thing I would say to people is I don't complain about something this much if I don't give a crap. And it's just frustrating right. to see it over and over again go down this path and uh you know hopefully one day I, I you know i don't have to watch them anymore with my new job but i grew up watching them and i enjoy the nba and it would just be more fun if they were making the right moves but unfortunately it doesn't feel like they are enough hope springs eternal that's the washington message here oh benny absolutely houseman appreciate it, man we'll talk soon always all right there you have it uh i really enjoyed talking to joe um, you know, as I said at the top, ultimately, I, I probably need to just sort of pr- prepare myself to focus more on positive vibes on the Wizards uh, and, and, and try to come up with some positive topics. Because obviously you guys are fans. If you're listening to this, you don't want to hear just, you know, relentless negative stuff. But unfortunately, it is kind of feels that way until they make some changes. We'll see what happens. But, you know, obviously, there's a lot to be excited about with Bradley Beal. I, I would mention Danny Avdia in particular. Uh, but beyond that, we'll just have to see. But at least hopefully the, the, the Washington football team conversation was viewed as positive and optimistic because I think it largely was that. Certainly House was very optimistic about the situation for sure. Uh, and I'm optimistic that uh, about what's going on here on the podcast. Really do appreciate you guys. Keep checking it out. Appreciate all the feedback. Uh, again, I plan on another podcast this week, and I've already got some other guests booked down the line that I think it would be a lot of fun that I'm really excited about um, and, and look forward to uh, sharing that with you. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of it. Hit me up on The Athletic or at Ben Standig on Twitter. But for now, Ben Standig signing off. So until next time, see you.